Good morning, church. What a blessing it was and is every single time when we gather and worship that way with, with such beautiful uh, lyrics that point us to God and point us to Christ. Uh, it is good to be with you this morning. Um, last week, Pastor Reggie uh, began our Advent series with a powerful message on the sure hope that we have in Christ. And this morning, I hope to bring you a word from Scripture uh, on the peace available to us in Christ. So please turn with me in your Bibles, if you can, to John chapter 14. And while you are turning there, would like to ask you the question, what is peace? What is peace? Peace. Peace is, first and foremost, a gift from God. In the Old Testament, uh, the word translated as peace is shalom, which means more than simply the absence of conflict, war, and violence. It encompasses completeness, soundness, welfare, and peace. And for the Israelites, shalom was both a greeting and a farewell. To say shalom to someone was to express a desire for them to experience well-being peace and prosperity. But peace is more than just a word. Also in the Old Testament, peace was to result from subjecting yourself to God in the appropriate manner, which was often signified by sacrifice. So in the book of Leviticus, for example, God provided laws for peace offerings, which involved sacrificing of unblemished animals. And the blood of these animals was to be sprinkled on the sides of the altar by the priests. Now, to modern Western ears, this sounds pretty grotesque. Sounds pretty bizarre, all this bloody, gory stuff. But these actions, these sacrifices actually served a useful purpose of pointing God's followers to the costliness of peace. As they were so prone to strife with him and with each other. But as Israel's story progressed, despite God's provision of sacrifices as a means of making peace, the people had no peace, either in the land or with God. They had clung to their idols and disregarded his instruction. 
And so the prophet Isaiah predicts the coming of a redeemer who not only embodies peace, but will bring it to the people. And he'll be called the Prince of Peace. He is the climax of Israel's history and the solution to their troubles. He is the remedy for the troubled hearts of Jews and Gentiles. The title of my message this morning is Perfect Peace for Troubled Hearts. So let's give our careful attention now to God's word in John chapter 14. And I'd ask the congregation to please stand for the reading of God's word. I'll be reading from the ESV uh, this morning, and we'll be reading from verses 25 to 31. John chapter 14, beginning at verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe." I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of peace. And we thank you, Lord, that the Prince of Peace has come. And Lord, you offer perfect peace for troubled hearts. And today I pray, Lord, that your word would penetrate troubled hearts this morning. I pray, Lord, that whatever worries, anxieties, and fears are present in the heart of your people, and even those who don't know you yet, would you come with your power and pierce through those hearts? Would you come release and set captives free? Would you uh, bring, Father, a revelation of the glory of Christ? And we thank you, Lord, even now as we Open our ears to hear your word that you would minister to us, O oh Lord. You are faithful. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. 
and we praise you and we lift up your name once again in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Our text this morning is part of what's known as Jesus's farewell address to his disciples, which actually begins in chapter 13 and extends all the way to his high priestly prayer in chapter 17. And up to this point specifically, Jesus has been telling his disciples about some major events that they'll soon be facing. It's the night before he's going to be brutally tortured and crucified. And yet, yet, he's thinking about their peace, their joy, and their faith. I heard someone say, if I was facing sure death the next day, I probably would only be thinking about my joy, my peace, and my faith, and working through that. But Jesus here is thinking about their peace and their joy and their faith. And he can see that they look troubled. What is this news that has caused such anxiety and fear? Well, firstly, he's told them of his impending departure. In chapter 13, verse 33, he said, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am, where I am going, you cannot come. So their leader, whom they've been following for quite some time now, is leaving them. He's going somewhere where they won't be able to follow, at least not yet. They know it's going to involve opposition from the religious leaders. He already had told them that. And they know it's going to involve death because he also told them that. And even though he had told them that he would also be raised to life, it's not clear they really understood or accepted this as literally true. Perhaps they thought the spirit of Christ will raise back up. His, his teachings will endure, but it's unclear. They weren't sure. They were unsure. But either way, the time is drawing near. It's going to happen very soon. They're going to lose their leader. He's leaving them for a while, and they can't follow. And secondly, he told them that one of you is going to betray me. And this, no doubt, created a sense of anxiety, uncertainty, 
and possibly even distrust within the group. Matthew 26 records that each of them asked, Is it I, Lord? Is it I? Is it I? But Jesus didn't directly answer no to any of those questions. And it seems that from John's account, that only John and Peter might have understood that it would be Judas. The rest of the disciples were left in suspense about this with that question, is it I, bouncing through their head. And when he told Judas to do quickly what he was going to do, they all assumed that he just left to go run an errand. So one of you is going to betray me. And thirdly, he predicted that Peter was going to deny him not once, but three times. And even though Peter had just boldly professed his willingness to give his life for Jesus, Jesus told him, this very night, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Now, imagine how this would land in the ears of his disciples. Peter is the leader of the inner circle. Perhaps they thought, you mean to tell me that a time of testing is coming tonight where even those in the inner circle closest to Jesus are going to fail the test? What does that say about how secure my own loyalty is to Christ? And what will it be if I am tested? Later in John 16, 32 to 33, he tells them, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet, I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Fourth, their slowness, shall we say, to understand and receive weighty theological truths was being continually exposed. Earlier in John 14, after Philip asked Jesus to give them some sort of a, you know, appearance of the Father and it'll be enough, Jesus replied to him in verses 9 to 10, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. 
But Jesus, in this moment, seeks their comfort. And he tells them, the Father is going to send a helper to be with them forever. A third person. And this other person will dwell in them. So it was in this context of his coming death, resurrection and departure, the coming betrayal from one of his disciples, and the coming test that would see even Peter deny him, that led their hearts to be troubled and afraid. That's a lot to take in. Those are monumental changes taking place. And they're coming soon. But Jesus loves them. And although he's about to face brutal crucifixion tomorrow, he's ministering to them today. And in the face of this news, which from their perspective meant an uncertain future, Jesus gives them an incredible promise to stabilize and anchor them. He tells them, a helper is coming to remind you of everything I said. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. In other words, guard your hearts from anxiety and fear. Why? Because peace I leave with you. And my peace I give to you. He promises them the gift of peace. And this is no ordinary peace. And this is no ordinary giver. There's something special about this gift. And certainly there's something special about this giver. Oh, this gift won't eliminate uncertain times. But it will give them every reason to not be troubled in heart when they face them. And this is true for you and me as well. Christians still face countless situations that threaten to, to trouble our hearts and fill them with fear. But Jesus offers you the perfect remedy for troubled hearts. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And the peace that Christ leaves and gives is multifaceted. It involves at least peace with God. Peace within, peace with others. The foundational peace he offers is reconciliation with God. In which our status 
changes from guilty and facing condemnation to forgiven and declared righteous. And this he accomplished on the cross so that those who repent and believe in his perfect sacrifice for sin receive this peace. Paul writes in Romans 5.10, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And earlier in Romans 5.1, and I was... A scripture mentioned today, he writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The most important question you can ask yourself today is, do I have peace with God? Do I have this peace? Have I entered into his rest? Or are you still trying to earn your salvation through your own efforts? Have you received his forgiveness on the basis of his perfect sacrifice alone? One of the ways that you can tell is if you've repented of your sins. Have I received his forgiveness? Well, have I repented from my sins? Augustine famously wrote in his Confessions, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts, our heart is restless until it rests in you. Well, in the New Testament, the Greek word for peace is irene. And the New Testament concept of peace extends the concept of shalom even further. According to the lexicon, Irene is the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so, fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot, of whatsoever sort that is. Did you catch that? Well, that is the concept of peace in the New Testament. And that's why I say this is the most important question we can ask ourselves. It's not a question of, do I ever sin? <laughs> we fail. But have I forsaken all? to follow him and trust him 
to work out those other areas in my life. You see, this, this peace that Christ offers is not the mere absence of conflict or problems. No, it's actually, it's actually the kind of peace that is experienced in conflicts and problems. In conflicts, in problems, in trials and tribulations, the peace experienced in those moments is the peace that Jesus was talking about. Because that peace is anchored in Christ. Jesus later tells them in John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, take heart. I have overcome the world. My peace I give to you. My peace. What does he mean here when he says, my peace? The peace, this is exciting. This is the part where I was like, oh my goodness. This is awesome. Sorry, that's not in my notes. The peace that Jesus has with his Father is the very remedy he offers to troubled hearts. Let me say that again. The peace that Jesus himself has with his Father is the very remedy that he offers to troubled hearts. In other words, when he says, my peace, he's referring to the very peace he experiences in the relationship between himself and his father. My peace. I have perfect peace with my father. No one comes to the father except through me. Don't you see, Philip, I'm in the father and the father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Who's speaking here? This is Jesus and the Father. We are one in love, peace, and perfect harmony. I give you this. I give you this. How glorious. How glorious. Christ extends his perfect peace as the remedy for troubled hearts. That sounds good, but how is he going to do that? How is he going to do that? How will Jesus take his perfect peace that he has with the Father and give it to his disciples? What is it, some sort of substance? How does that work? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to ask the Father to send you the helper, the comforter. And the Father is going to send him in my name. Who's speaking here? 
Jesus and the Father. Well, later in John 15, 26, Jesus tells them, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you. Oh, first it's the Father sending. Now Jesus says, I will send to you from the Father. I'm going to send it from the Father. The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. Boy, what a unity. What a oneness. What an unbroken, perfect fellowship and peace. Who sends the Spirit? The Father and the Son. Remember, he is in the Father and the Father is in him. Who spoke these words? The Father and the Son. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the Holy Spirit is a distinct person of the Godhead. His ministry is to carry forward Jesus' mission. And part of that would include bringing to their remembrance all that Jesus said to them. How do you think they wrote down the scriptures? The Spirit brought to memory all of those interactions and conversations. <clears throat> and he will dwell in them and in all who belong to Christ. The Spirit is the implementer of this inner peace. He will sanctify us and conform us, conform us more and more to the image of the Son as we walk in the Spirit. And what's the results of this going to be? Fruit. And Paul writes in Galatians 5, 16 to 26, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you lack peace about your salvation? If you are walking in the works of the flesh, you will not have his peace. You will not experience his peace. So what do I do if that's where I find myself? <clears throat> Repent and humbly throw yourself on the mercy of God and ask for his forgiveness recognize the costliness of the peace that you desperately seek, which was born entirely 
by Christ on the cross. But don't put it off. Don't put it off. Or you risk hardening your heart. You don't want to do that. And Paul goes on to list the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ are, are, are pursuing these things. They're not pursuing the other things. When you hear that, don't read or don't hear, those who belong to Christ are perfect and sinless. That's not what's meant at all. Those who are those who are Christ's, those who belong to Christ, are running toward righteousness. Oh, we slip every now and then. But we don't stay there. We're not hanging out there. We're looking forward. Not as the world gives do I give to you. The kind of peace that Christ gives is not a peace that the world can give. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. In other words, human beings cannot fully wrap their minds around this peace because it transcends understanding. The world can't grasp it. It can't give it. It's not just based on rationalism. It's not circumstantial. It's not based on how things are going in life. You see, the world does offer a kind of peace that's circumstantial. It offers higher paying jobs, financial strategies, health insurance, retirement accounts. Those are not bad things. I'm, I'm thankful for those. But they don't bring lasting peace. The feelings you get when all these things are going well, guess what? That's not the kind of peace Jesus is talking about. You see, those things are here today, gone tomorrow. And what happens to those good feelings when they're gone? What happens then to you? The peace that the world offers is temporal. It's here today, gone tomorrow. The market could crash. This economy might get worse. You might lose that high-paying job. Your health insurance could fail to cover that thing. Or you might lose your health insurance. What happens to those feelings that you thought were security then? They're gone. But the peace that Jesus offers will last in those very moments. Jesus said that the peace I give is not as the world gives. The world gives in a conditional and temporal way. Its peace often depends on circumstances, status, wealth, or human relationships. That peace can easily be disrupted or taken away. The world gives in a way that's superficial and based on conditions being favorable. 
Its peace can easily be shaken by trials and tribulations. The world gives in a limited and imperfect way. Its peace is limited by human imperfection. And therefore, it cannot fulfill the deepest needs of the human heart. It cannot. The world gives material and temporal gifts. Worldly peace is usually centered on material and temporal gains, which, while they're valuable in their own right, they don't address the spiritual and eternal realities of life. But Jesus' gift of peace is unconditional, enduring, deeply internal, and spiritual. And on what basis does he offer this peace? It's a peace that is rooted in the eternal, unchanging nature of God. And his promises, it's unaffected by worldly changes or challenges. This peace transcends understanding. And it's grounded in the perfect relationship between Christ and the Father. This peace addresses the deepest needs of the human soul for reconciliation with God, inner tranquility, and the assurance of eternal life. That's what this peace that Christ offers can give. Music ministry, you can come up. Make no mistake about it, though. There is no peace for the wicked. Isaiah 48 22 says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And Isaiah 59, in several verses, says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Their feet run to evil, and they're swift to shed innocent blood their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, desolation, and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know. And there's no justice in their paths. They've made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. There is no peace for the wicked. But Christ offers peace as the only remedy for the lost, as the only remedy for the saved. Christ's, the peace that Christ offers is the only remedy for true peace. That is the peace we need. John Owen wrote this, before we're brought into the faith, our thoughts of God are full of fear, uncertainty, and disquiet. The love of the Father, he says, 
is the only rest of the soul. And he says, but to encounter the heavenly father in his love, grace, and fellowship, we are transformed. And that transformation is understood in the context of relationship. Do you want to experience and understand this kind of peace more? Seek communion with God. Seek communion with God. He's going to keep in perfect peace he whose mind has stayed on him. Seek communion with God. We've been celebrating Advent as that looking back on the hope waiting for the coming. We sang this beautiful song today of, look what, what God has done. Christ is born. And at the same time, we live between two Advents. We're awaiting his future return. And here in this space between two Advents, peace is being offered. It's been accomplished by Christ in his first Advent. And it will carry us on into eternal life, everlasting life, after his second Advent. I'd like to leave you with a text of Scripture. It says in Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. <clears throat> let it rule. To which indeed you were called in one body. Troubled hearts are a universal human condition. And the peace of God purchased on the cross of Christ and applied to the heart by the Holy Spirit is the only perfect remedy. It's an everlasting peace that Christ offers. The great revelation of Christ to us is that of God as our Father. So to know God, we must look at the Son of God who perfectly revealed him. As he told Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Would you bow your heads with me so we can pray?